0: Amen, thank you for that music. That's a blessing and joy to be here once again. I appreciate uh, Brother Hanks uh, being willing to let me come tonight and uh, I called him, told him I was coming up for Brother Houston's funeral. Brother Houston uh, helped coach at our football camp for I'm not sure exactly the years. I know it was over 20 years and it was a huge blessing to us and, and uh, so I wanted to be there for his funeral and, uh, and show that honor. Uh, So it was, my my wife was able to come with me. I'm so grateful. When I was here before, uh, my wife was not with me and and Brother Hanks said, I'll let you come if your wife's with you and I know you'll behave. And uh, so I brought her with me and, uh, you know, man, how much nicer I'm treated. I mean, we're in this palatial, uh, you know, missions house over the last time I was here. I was here for a week and. And the Brother Hank says, you know, there's back pew if you want to sleep. Or, uh, he said, if you want a little more privacy, you've got the balcony. And, uh, you know, and this time I'm treated nice. So, uh, no, it's, it's always a joy to be here. I appreciate your preacher and his testimony across our country and, and thank the Lord for him. And uh, so, thank you for the nice room for us to stay tonight. That's a blessing. We'll be driving back home. Our home is in Louisiana and uh, so about nine and a half hour drive tomorrow, hopefully. And uh, that's all it'll be. But um, we're, we're sure glad to be here. It's been, I'm glad that we're in 2021, I think. <laughs> Amen. 2020 was a crazy year in many, many ways. And uh, as Brother Hanks and I were talking at dinner. I, I had heart surgery, triple bypass surgery a year ago in January. And so, the, you know, as an evangelist, you're dependent on, on uh, love offerings, and and uh, so my doctor said, don't don't schedule any meetings for a couple of months, and uh, so you know for a couple of months I didn't have any meetings, and then I had meetings starting up, you know, scheduled in March and, and looking good for my schedule, and then uh, you know that pandemic hit, and uh, <laughs> some of you're listening, and uh, and all those meetings canceled. So, uh, Brother Hanks, really I've been 42 years full-time ministry, and from this the first time in my life, from January to, um, to first part of, of uh, June, I believe it was, I preached two services the whole time. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to tell you how faithful the Lord was. He took such good care of us, and honestly, we, as you could tell, I didn't miss a meal and uh, we had, um, we had our bills never got uh, paid late and God just amazingly took care of us. And uh, we know he does that, but it's, it's always amazing to me still when he does, amen. And uh, so we thank the Lord for that. And so it's been, been a strange year. You know, coming out of the, out of the heart surgery, uh, I just so vividly remember uh, getting, you know, getting clear in mind and looking around the room. My kids were there, and my wife, and and as I got my focus, I noticed that she was looking over those life insurance papers, making sure they'd been paid. And uh, <laughs> she'll get after me afterwards for that. But uh, so the Lord's been good to us, and we we made it through. And then, of course, the crazy election. I mean, have you ever seen anything like it in your life? Uh, i had a, a fellow tell me that his uncle. Uh, voted for the first time ever a straight democrat ticket he said he died 5 years ago and you know. all right let's get to the bible would you would you open your bibles please to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Brother Hanks, I don't know what your custom is to usually stand when we read Scripture. It's a okay, well, I, you could just stay seated. Just don't fall asleep on me, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice what it says in verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I, I love the Apostle Paul. You know, he never made a big deal about himself. And, and Paul says, you know, just Just realize all we are is ministers. We're all just servants. You know there's no big shots in God's economy? We all just get the privilege to serve him. And Paul said we're just ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is is somebody that's not an owner. They just manage what they've been given responsibility over. One of the greatest times you'll ever come to in your Christian life is when you realize you're not an owner nothing's ours everything is his and we're just given responsibility to care for it and to to manage it to be a good steward and it says in verse 2 moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful faithful in proverbs 20 and verse 6 it says a faithful man who can find faithful the longer i serve the lord the more I'm so grateful for folks that are just faithful. Just staying by it. Still carrying their King James Bible. Still going soul winning. Still having standards. Just living right. Just faithful. Not changing with the times. Just faithful. Where they need to be when God wants them there. Serving as God wants them to serve. Just faithful. I I had the privilege a number of years ago, I don't remember how many years ago now it was, but I preached um, a Thursday morning uh, slot at uh, Revival Fires Conference in uh, Illinois. But I remember I was there for the whole week. And that Monday night, there was an evangelist that preached. He was 90 years old. I'd never heard him preach in my life, but man, he blessed my heart. And I'll never forget the title of his message was, It's Worth It. It's Worth It. Tonight, I want to preach on, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be faithful? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you so much for the privilege we have to serve you. We cry out to you, Lord, and confess we're nothing without thee. And Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace. And I ask you, please, would you help me to be a help tonight? And I pray, Holy Ghost of God, that you'd fill me and do me you'd manifest yourself here in, in power, that you'd do something in somebody's heart, Lord, and be wonderful if you do it in many hearts that would count for eternity tonight. Lord, I don't know what anybody has that they're dealing with in their life or in their heart at this moment that's sitting here in this auditorium, but Lord, you know. And so I ask you please be in charge and help me tonight, give my mind clarity Help me to present your truth in the way that you'd be pleased and honored. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Webster defined faithful as a firm adherence to the truth. Another definition he gave was a firm adherence to duty or conformable to truth or constant. It's just being full of faith, to be faithful. Matthew 25, 21, it talks about that servant that invested his talents and and then the Lord said unto him, well done thou good and faithful servant. But you know, I found out over 42 years of full-time ministry that the trials and the difficulties of life come, the battles come, the heartaches, the disappointments, the failures, And it seems like at those times is when the devil loves to come along and just jab you in the side and say, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I mean, you bring a child home from the hospital when they're born and and you put them in that little bassinet and you fall on your knees and you say, dear God, please, Lord, please, as soon as they're able to understand, bring them to to salvation. And Lord, protect them that they don't get involved in all the trash of this world and get wounded and all the corruption that's out there and all the, man, you beg God. And then you, you, you sacrifice and you send them to Christian school or you homeschool them and you send them to camps and you, you bring them to, to youth conferences and, and all of that. And then when they get old enough, they start making their own decisions and they make a decision that you never thought they'd make and your heart is broken and the old devil comes and says, really, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be faithful? I mean, you've tried to stand, you've tried to sacrifice, is it really worth it? I remember when I was called to preach, my dad was a preacher, but, but during my teenage years, my dad was out of the ministry. He went through some, some difficulties and, and health difficulties. Actually, a doctor told my dad he better get out of the ministry or he was gonna die. My dad was out of the ministry during my teenage years and we still went to church. Dad taught a Sunday school class, but, but I, I remember uh, I, was, I was struggling as a teenager trying to decide what I was gonna do with my life and, and God really worked in my heart and broke my heart and I, I surrendered to the Lord and said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I want you to be in charge from here on. I was 15 years of age and, and it was just shortly after that that I went to a camp and at a teen camp, There was an older man of God who was in his 80s and he preached. And I remember thinking to myself as a teenager, what's this old geezer preaching to these young kids for? My man, he preached, he was fired up. And he preached with power and with passion. And I'll never forget, he preached on being a soldier in the army of Christ. And he said, we need some more frontline soldiers. Boy, my whole heart started pounding like it did when I was under conviction about getting saved. And I remember walking down the aisle of my pastor at that time, and I'm weeping. And and he said, Tim, what's going on? I said, I believe God's called me to preach. I want to surrender to what he wants me to do. And I surrendered to preach. Man, I couldn't wait to get home and tell my dad the decision I made. And when I got home, I said, Dad, I made a life-changing decision at camp. And he said, really, tell me about it. And I said, well, I believe God's called me to preach. I sure to be a preacher. And I'll never forget, I wanted him to be excited. And he tried his best to talk me out of it. And I was so disheartened by it. But I knew what God had done in my heart. And later on, I understood, and he said to me, son, all I ever wanted all my life is for you to do the will of God. But I knew if I could talk you out of it, the devil would talk you out of it down the road. And now I understand, absolutely. Those trials and difficulties and challenges come along in life. The old devil loves to just jab you and say, really is it worth it? You know, to to Demas evidently it wasn't worth it. And Paul needed him greatly and Demas forsook him, having loved this present world. But there were plenty that, that believed it was worth it to be faithful. I mean, you look at, at Hebrews chapter 11, it's amazing to me, if you go over there real quick in Hebrews chapter 11, and we won't go through all of that whole of, of faith in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and all those men and women that, that God greatly uh, used by their faith, but, but I, I'm just moved when I come down to verse 36. And it says, and others, doesn't mention their name, They never had a sermon in revival fires. They never preached at a conference. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. That, that bothered me when I first didn't really comprehend it, but I thought, man, these people that went through great trials and they were persecuted for the Lord and, and many of murdered for the cause of Christ and, And and they says they didn't receive the promise. That is, God didn't deliver them from that suffering. But you know, of course, He delivered them, taking them to heaven. Amen. He got out of the suffering then. But you know, they just believed it was worth it to be faithful. I want to tell you something. We look at what's going on in our country today, and there's all kinds of Christians getting worried and discouraged. And man, what are we going to do? Listen, I will tell you what. God's still God, and He's still worth serving. And regardless of what takes place, maybe it'll be that God lets some Americans get martyred. We've been spoiled a lot of years. But you know, if you look over the history of Christianity, you'll see that the great majority of believers lived under oppressive regimes. And these thought it was worth it to be faithful. Those apostles thought it was worth it to be faithful. Each one of them died the death of a martyr. Matthew was slain with a sword. Mark was dragged to death in Alexandria. Luke uh, was, was uh, hung from an olive tree in Greece and they say he continued to preach as long as he had breath. John was boiled and then banished. Peter was crucified upside down outside of Rome. James the greater was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the less was thrown from a pinnacle of the temple and he lay dying and still preaching. Bartholomew was laid alive and preached till he he had no breath. Andrew was crucified and kept pushing and pulling up to to preach. Jude was shot through with arrows and Barnabas was stoned at Thessalonica and Thomas was run through with a lance in East Indies and uh, Matthias was stoned and then beheaded and Paul was beheaded by Nero. But my dear friend, for some reason, they thought it was worth it to be faithful. Is it worth it to be faithful? Well, let me give you a few quick reasons why it's worth it. Number one, there's always sufficient grace. There's always sufficient grace. You see, being faithful is a choice. It doesn't take special intellect, a special gift. Anyone can be faithful who's saved if they choose to be faithful. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter nine. In 2 Corinthians chapter nine, we have here where the Corinthian church was, was being hesitant about their gift that they had vowed to give for the poor in Jerusalem, and, and Paul's trying to encourage them to follow through, and he says in chapter nine of 2 Corinthians in verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye ha- always having all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. Paul's saying the grace of God can give you the strength and, and, uh, and, uh, to be able to do what you had promised to do for the Lord. I love the definition that, that Webster gives of grace, where it's, it's defined, uh, defined as a divine influence in renewing the heart and restraining from sin. It's that, that divine influence that God puts in the heart of a believer that will, will motivate you to do what you ought to do in every given situation. God's grace will always do that in the heart of He'll always put that in your heart to, to do the right thing. That doesn't force you to do the right thing, but he'll put that desire in your heart. Look at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For Paul cries out three times and asks for that affliction to be removed from him. And the Lord says in verse nine, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response was most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God's grace will always be sufficient. There will always be that sufficient grace. See, God will always supply that grace that's needed no matter what you're dealing with. But I wanna tell you, dear Christian, please don't miss this. That doesn't mean you'll always receive that grace. You see, you can't can't receive grace from a posture of pride. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. And you see, as long as we're shaking our fists in God's face and saying this isn't fair and you're not treating me right and you know, the charismatics there, you know, God you heal me, I, de- I demand you to, you don't demand God to do anything. Right. Paul's response was, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God, you know what's best, your grace is sufficient. Amen. Never too much, never too little. Never too soon, never too late. Sufficient grace. And I'm telling you, no matter what a Christian goes through, God will always provide sufficient grace for you to be faithful, but you have to choose to respond to that divine influence God puts in your heart. At the loss of a loved one, that's not the time to throw in the towel. At the the attack of critics in your life, That's not the time to quit. The disappointments and heartaches come in life, that's not the time to quit serving God. That's the time to run and get your grace bucket filled up because there will always be sufficient grace. There was sufficient grace for John the Baptist when he faced getting his head cut off. There was sufficient grace for Stephen when the stones were beating his body. There was sufficient grace for those martyrs and I'm telling you, child of God, there will always be sufficient grace for you, is it worth it to be faithful? Yes, because we'll always have sufficient grace available. Number two, is it worth it to be faithful? Yes, because we have a sovereign God. We have a sovereign God. Don't let the sovereignty of God scare you. The hyper-Calvinists have ruined the thought about the sovereignty of God. I'm telling you, we have a God that's all powerful and nothing has caught him by surprise. Can I tell you, as much as it hurts for me to say it, God's not surprised that Nancy Pelosi's running the country, I mean, is um, in Speaker of the House. None of this has caught God by surprise. And God is a, is, is a sovereign God. He's faithful always to, to a perfect plan. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful, he's a sovereign God, he's faithful to his plan, he's faithful to his promises, and all of it's motivated by a perfect love and your best interest at heart, because he knows what's best for you and me. Notice some verses, I love these verses. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Good too. you, you're still awake, it's wonderful. Look at verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter three, verse three. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Look at 2 Timothy chapter two, I love this one. Verse 13. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny deny himself. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, he's still gonna be faithful. He's a sovereign God that has everything under control. Nothing has caught him by surprise. He knows what he's doing. I think of Joseph. You imagine how often the old devil must have come to Joseph? And Joseph is is faithful to his mom and dad. He's following the God that they taught him about. And his brothers sell him out. They were gonna kill him and then they sold him to old Potiphar coming through and, and, and can you imagine? I mean, Joseph had a great relationship with mom and dad and he loved them and he loved his God and now his brothers have have sold him out. And he's taken now hundreds of miles away from home to a strange place. And then we know that Potiphar's wife, as Potiphar left town and left Joseph in charge and his wicked wife tried to seduce Joseph, he ran out of his coat, he was a wise man. And, and that she lies about him, he's thrown in prison. Remember all of that? You imagine how many times old devil must have come along and said, really, Joseph? I mean, you tried to, to be honor mom and dad. You tried to follow what they taught you about, the, your, about your God. Hey, well, how's God done for you, Joseph? Look at you, you're sitting in prison. You didn't even do anything. I mean, really, is it worth it, Joseph? But can I tell you, over and over during that story, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Amen. Amen. That's right. That sovereign God, he was with Joseph. This was all part of a plan. And we know how that Joseph ended up being exalted in, in Egypt there and was in charge of the grain and his brothers come and need, need grain and, and, and when they saw it was Joseph, they thought, oh man, we're dead. Now if I would have been Joseph, they'd have been dead. But Joseph was a better Christian than me. And Joseph said, no, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive. Can I tell you, I don't know what you're dealing with in your life, and I don't know what the devil's trying to do to discourage me discourage you. But I want to tell you, we have a sovereign God and he has a plan that we don't have to understand. In fact, we get in trouble when we lean on our own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us. And so it's not about us understanding. It's understanding that we have a sovereign God that we can trust. And he's got a plan and all of it and we don't know the outcome, but he does. Romans 8, 28, still in the book, isn't it? but we know that all things work together for good. God's got it all weaved together. He knows what we don't know. Is it worth it to be faithful? Yeah, it's worth it because we have always sufficient grace available. We have a sovereign God we can trust. And then thirdly, there's always a sure gain down the road, a sure gain. Look at Proverbs 28, verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessing. There's always a sure gain. God promises to bless faithfulness. Look at Revelation chapter two. Verse 10. Here's to that suffering church of Smyrna. And this is what he says. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. I love the Apostle Paul when he comes to the end of his life. We have those precious words in 2 Timothy chapter four. And he's telling his son in the faith, Timothy. It's amazing to me, I always get a kick out of, you know, he never he didn't rehearse all of his statistics. You know, Brother Hanks, he didn't tell how many churches he had started or how many he'd had in the water or didn't, didn't give all those reports. He said, Timothy, I'm ready to be offered. Time of my departure's at hand. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And not for me only, but also for all those that love his appearing. Paul said, hey, I've got a a sure gain coming. I've got a sure reward. Because God always blesses faithfulness. And Paul didn't brag about anything he accomplished because Paul always knew it's by the grace of God that I am what I am but he stayed faithful and finished the course God gave him. I'm not getting younger. It's probably a great shock to many of you. But I pray every day, Lord, please help my wife and I to finish faithfully and fruitfully that course you've given us. You see, there's a sure gain ahead. I always love to think about Timothy in the Bible. Timothy you know, it says about Timothy that there was no man as like-minded with Paul as Timothy was. And of Timothy, it says that that he he was like his mother and grandmother that had that unfeigned faith. And I got thinking about Timothy. You know, it never tells us anything about Timothy's dad other than we know he was a Greek. And it doesn't say anything about him being a believer. And I'm just speculating a little bit, but I would think if if his dad would have been a believer and would have had any influence for Timothy about God, there would probably have been a mention of that. It only mentions his mother and grandmother. And I can just picture in that day for a Jewish lady, Timothy's mother, to follow after Jesus Christ, well, they'd pay a price. It wasn't popular. It wasn't popular with the other Jews. It wasn't popular in that society. It wasn't popular if she had an unsaved husband. And I wonder if there wasn't many a time that she was raising Timothy and teaching him the scriptures, that her husband would give her a hard time about that. And would say, come on, man, what are you, You're gonna turn this boy out to be some kind of fanatic or something? I mean, come on, you don't need to be taking him to church and you don't need to be teaching him all this Bible stuff. You don't need to send him to old camps and we can't afford all that stuff. And you know how many times it must have been the old devil came along to Timothy's mother and said, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? But you come to the end of the line and Timothy's mother says, oh yeah, yeah, it was worth it. Look at my boy's pastoring in a church over there in Ephesus. There's a sure gain to faithfulness. I was preaching a number of years ago in Frederick, Maryland, and it's, it's close to Washington, D.C., not far. The pastor's wife, in fact, worked at, um, uh, I think it was the, the um, uh, transportation uh, department there in Washington D.C. and uh, good good preacher and at downtown church and and I remember when I first was there and preacher took me down and showed me the building and pretty little building but not, no hardly any room hardly any place to park and and um, he said now brother Booth he said we we uh, probably have about thirty thirty five people on Sunday morning. And I said, that's fine, preacher, it doesn't matter to me. I just preach to whoever shows up. And uh, he said, well, he said, "Um, at the same time we have that service going, we have a Spanish ministry that meets downstairs and we have another you know, uh, 40 or 50 of the Spanish ministry. I said, that's wonderful, preacher. And he said, "Uh, but we need you to kind of watch the time on Sunday morning because as soon as we're done, we have a Burmese church and there's about 100 of them. I said, a what? He said, a Burmese church. I said, where'd they come from? He said, Burma. (laughs) Don't have to be smart to be an evangelist, you know, just willing. I said, no, I I get that preacher, but I mean, how'd they end up in Frederick, Maryland? A hundred of them. Well, he said, Brother Booth, he said I was in my office one day, I was doing some work and and he said, a knock came on my office door and I said, it's open, come on in. He said, a sharp dressed young man walked in and introduced himself and he said, Pastor, he said, I'm so-and-so, we're, we just moved here from Burma. And he said, there's about a hundred of, of us that moved here. And he said, we're Baptist Amen. and we love the Lord and we're convict- we have convictions and we believe that book. And he said, we're looking for a place. He said, I, I, Pastor, I, I don't want to in any way cause you any trouble or undermine you. But he said, "I, I just, we're looking for a pastor that we could work under. He said, now a lot of our older people don't understand English real well and, and I really need to be able to preach to them. But I promise you, preacher, we won't cause you any trouble and, and whatever you see we need to do, I, we'll, we'll, we'll submit ourselves to you. And so the preacher began to ask him questions about their doctrine. Man, they were right on target every, every step. And he said, Brother Booth, I looked at that guy, and I said, how is it? How is it that you folks have your doctrine right, you're saved? I mean, how does this happen? He said, well, preacher, you might have heard of this American missionary years ago. He was a Baptist. His name was Adoniram Judson. He said, You see, we're descendants of his converts. Man, I'm gonna tell you, when he told me that, I almost turned Bapticostal. You read the biography of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson wasn't even planning on going there, and there was a shipwreck. He was going to be a missionary. I don't remember where now, but there was a shipwreck. He ended up there. He couldn't understand their language for almost seven years before he had his first convert. You know how the, the old devil must have come along and said, really? What kind, of, you know, what kind of support letter are you gonna send to your supporting churches? You know, we have no converts yet. Don't understand the language yet. For seven years, don't you know the devil come and said, is it worth it? I mean, what are you doing? You've got your family over here, you're missing your, your, your family gatherings at home, you're not there for the Christmas celebrations and the birthdays, what are you doing? I mean, really, is it worth it? For seven years, they put him in prison thinking that he was, was a part of the civil uprising and while he was in prison, his wife would have to slip notes under his prison door to try to encourage him and over time, she died, his children died. He buried them all in Burmese Sod. Is it worth it to be faithful? <laughs> now, all these years later, this man tells the preacher, About 90% of the state that we came from are born again believers. But our central government has become so oppressive they've given us freedom to move and so we came to Frederick, Maryland. I'm just telling you, when you're faithful there's a sure gain ahead. There's a sure gain ahead. I was preaching about this in Mesquite, Texas. Brother Bob Ross was the pastor there at the time, and, and I was sitting on the platform and, and uh, I noticed a, a man and his wife sitting off to the right side and, and you know, just something, something about a preacher, sometimes you could just say, that guy must be a preacher. You know, I don't know if we're extra ugly or what it is, but <laughs> somehow you just kind of spot it. And, and I, I said, I said that couple over that guy looks like a preacher. Brother Ross said, oh yeah, he is a preacher. I'll tell you about it a little bit after the service. I'll tell you a story. I preached, gave the invitation, and I preached about being faithful. Altar was full and I went to the back waiting there and Brother Ross made some announcements and then they had some baptism and he had Brother Matthews baptized and he came back and he's standing with me while the baptism was going on. And he tells me the story. He said, that's Brother Kreitz from West Virginia. He and his, he's an independent Baptist pastor and he said he and a buddy of his, another preacher, they'd get together every once in a while for their health. They would ride bikes through those West Virginia mountains and haulers. And he said one day they were riding their bike and, and uh, his buddy got down the road a little bit further ahead of him and, and he, he didn't negotiate a curve right and went off the side of the mountain. His buddy, finally after a while he stopped and waited for him and waited for him and waited for him and he didn't come and he got worried and he backtracked trying to look for him and it took about two hours before he found him. And he was all busted up real bad and they called a a life flight to fly him to hospital. He had a lot of different fractures and that kind of thing but the main injury was a brain injury and uh, after a period of time, the doctor said, we've done everything we know to do. There's really nothing else we know to do. And they sent him home. His balance was real bad. He had to have his wife hold on to him as he tried to walk. And his, his, his uh, words were real slurred. They, uh, they came there to Mesquite, Texas, because somebody told them that there was an article that came out in a, a health magazine about a new procedure that a neurosurgeon was doing on that type of a brain injury. His wife had called and talked and they, they approved him to come and have an appointment with that surgeon. And so they, they were there that weekend. I preached, was done. Brother Ross and I were standing at the back and they had prayer to dismiss and everybody comes out shaking hands and all. And, There's still a few folks in the foyer and the rest are already getting out to their cars and and the last ones to come out was Brother Kreitz and his wife and they're just, he's walking about this pace. His wife's holding on to him. They finally get to the back and I stick my hand out to shake his hand, but he didn't shake my hand. He threw his arms around me, and started sobbing, just loud sobbing, buried his face in my, my chest and just sobbing. All of a sudden he got a little composure and he said, brother Booth, I, I'm sorry I, I got snot on your coat. I said, don't worry about that brother, that's sanctified snot, don't worry about it. And then he looked at me, his wife was standing with the tears running. And he said, thank you for the message. It is worth it. And I'm telling you tonight, it is worth it. There's always sufficient grace. We have a sovereign God to trust. And there's always a sure gain ahead if you're faithful. Was there a time you used to be a soul winner? You used to teach Sunday school, used to sing in the choir, you used to be involved more. Was there a time that your heart was more fired up about doing something for God? And somewhere along life's journey, the trials and distractions came and the old devil said, really, is it worth it? Maybe some of us ought to come to an altar and say, Lord, the heart's growing a little cold lately. I need to get back on the firing line. The mess our country is in is not the fault of the government. If my people called by my name, it's not time to lay down. It's time for us to gear up. One day we're gonna stand before him, I'm gonna tell you, it'll be worth it to have been faithful. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please?